Something about that journey that we just saw that to me represented the life of Abraham. And I thought it was really interesting when I was kind of looking at that depiction that how time lapse adds a beauty to something that normally would be a long, arduous journey. And I think a lot of us forget that our, our lives, as we get in the middle of them, sometimes we lose the beauty of the journey. We, we don't see it because we're in the middle of loading or unloading cargo in our lives or in the middle of a, a deep sea. And we look at Abraham's life, and as you begin to get the vision of God and the reimagining of God in your life, you begin to see the wonderful thing that God is actually doing with you in the middle of it. And so God has been inviting us to embark on this revisioning of our personal lives. Abraham has left everything to follow after God, and he's fought famine and marital strife and family dysfunction and he's in the middle of his journey and in a moment of exhaustion and doubt we learned last week that God takes him outside of his tent and tells him to look up at the stars and it's like don't give up I've got a plan for your life let me restore the beauty to your life let me restore the wonder of what I'm doing in the middle of your journey and Abraham buys them you know if you're a Bible belter you may have been raised on Bible story heroes I would, I'm not a Bible belter, I uh, wasn't born, so when everybody kept saying, uh, singing the song about rocking in the bosom of ba Abraham, um, 
I always, I was raised Catholic. I thought Abraham, they were referring to Abraham Lincoln. Uh, so I, I'm serious, I really, until I was like maybe 25, maybe 28, I thought that song was about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I didn't know who the Bible story people were growing up. And so if you're a Bible belter, you probably got a lot of Bible uh, heroes. And usually what happens is a teacher like myself will isolate this gal or this guy at their best moment, you know, when they're like a rock star. And usually there'll be a series at a church about running with the giants, and they'll be talking about Joshua and Moses and Elijah and some of the great moments that they have, and that you can be a giant just like them. Uh, and there are those moments, there are those incredible moments where, where these individuals accomplish great things, and Abraham is one of those people. But the more I have been rereading the life of Abraham, um, the father of faith, I, I, I am like, I mean, I'm reading every part of his life. I mean, I'm just going over it and over it and over it and over it. This guy's a piece of work. I mean, he really is. Now, I gotta be very careful. I mean, there's a whole religion based upon, you know, uh, Abraham. I'm, I don't wanna make fun of our, our, our Jewish brethren here, but and also our faith is built on the works of Abraham, and the book of Romans verifies that, book of Hebrews verifies that, and so, you know, but it's really interesting is you begin to read every story about Abraham, not just the heroic moments, but you begin to read some of those other moments, you begin to think it's like, wow, this guy is, this guy is crazy. You know, the Jewish community has uh, names for people that mess up. And I was kind of looking at this this week, and you've probably heard them before, Shemil and a Shlemazel. Now, so I figured I'd keep this Jewish because we're talking about a Jewish guy, and, uh, we're about to see Abraham become both. I, I believe the Shlemiel is the guy who spills the soup, and the Shlemazel is the guy that always gets the soup spilled on him. So, and I think maybe all of us have been in one of these positions in our lives before, but we're about to see the father of our faith, uh, the man and woman that God moves through, we're gonna, be, we're gonna watch him do both of these things at the same time. Um, but here's the great thing. It's the grace of it. It's the grace in the middle of the journey of Abraham's life that even though he's a shlemiel and shlemazel in the middle of the story that we're going to read, it's the power of grace not only to him, but to each of us as we're in the middle of our, in our journey across the sea or loading or unloading things in our lives. So this next episode in Abraham's life will not only expose that, but more importantly, it is going to reveal an important component needed when reimagining your life with God. Um, it's gonna be like the I would say it will be a component that will be the most important component that you need to have when reimagining your life with God, and we're gonna discover it in a second. Let me read you the episode that we're in with Abraham and Sarah. Uh, and now, and as you see the scriptures, I am pronouncing them the way that we are familiar with them as opposed to the way that they are called at this particular moment. Later on in the story, they get, both get renamed, but I'll just call them Abraham and Sarah. Um, Genesis 16, starting verse one. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an, an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. 
So she said to Abraham, here we go. The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Um, I cannot tell you how much restraint that it, I, am, I am exhibiting at this particular moment when I read this story. I mean, this is an, this is an incredible story. I mean, Abraham's head should have been like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? But what, what Sarah is really saying in the middle of this journey, because it's getting long, it's getting difficult, it's getting hard, she's saying, you know, I think I could do a better job than God. I mean, God's promised this thing, and I think, you know, I think I could do a better job than him. I think I know more about relationships. Um, I think I can do this job without God. I think I can parent, I can do, be a mother, be a wife. I think I can steer my husband in the direction he needs to go. I think I need to kind of help Abraham along and get vision for his life. And I know what it is and I can pull it off for him. The means are not as important as the purposes and accomplishment of God. I mean, this is the other thing. It's like, listen, Abraham, we need to get this job done. God told you you're going to be a father of a mighty nation and you're going to have a lot of kids. Well, we're like 90 now, and it ain't getting done. So it really doesn't matter how we get it done. It doesn't matter how we make our money. It doesn't matter what our ethics are. The, the bottom line is this we got to step into the promise of God and we've got to make this thing happen. I've got to speed along. You know, she kind of feels that God is good at promises, but terrible about follow through. Um, my wife has an expression. She's used it before. Um, she calls it Mr. 80%. Um, I don't know if uh, other wives use this, you know, uh, but it, it's, if you're married to a person who, has really good ideas, you know, and starts rebuilding that wall in the house and, and puts up the drywall, and then five years later, the drywall is still not mudded. You know, and 10 years later, there's not paint on it. And, and then he's working on another project, and it's really good, and it's like three quarters put together, and it's almost there. And it's like, man, if he just finished up, and, and, and I really believe that Sarah is like, you know, Abraham and God are like Mr. 80%. They got us this far, but I'm just going to have to take over. I'm going to have to implement the new plan to get this thing worked out. One of the most important virtues, and I would say the most important virtue you have to develop in your life is discernment. Now, I know you probably thought I was going to say love, and that's a real cultural thing, is that everything's about love. And, 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 and how would I dare speak against love? But discernment, and, and this is the definition I kind of put together, the Oxford Dictionary was really weak. It just said discernment is the ability to make a judgment. But, but I think it's this. Discernment is the ability to hold an ideal assess everything based upon that ideal, and move or react based upon the feedback. That's what discernment is. It's this idea of like, you can't just have discernment and not have an ideal. There's gotta be an ideal. Like, you can say, well, I really wasn't a good, I really wasn't a good father. Okay, 
Well, what that tells me is, is that in your mind, there is an ideal of what a good father looks like and behaves like, and you are now comparing yourself, you're assessing your own behavior based upon this ideal. You know, maybe we do that with cars. We drive a certain car and there's an ideal. And you know, this doesn't ride as good as my Subaru or this doesn't drive the same way. It's not as fast as this. And, but we have an ideal of what our expectation is. And in discernment, we also do that. We, we all have an ideal of what, you know, what, what's sexy, what's beautiful, what's handsome, what's successful, what is, I mean, you could just throw all the words in it. And we have this ideal up here of what that is. And discernment requires that you have an ideal and then you begin to assess everything else based upon that ideal and you either move forward or backwards or you engage or not engage based upon that using this concept of discernment. It is the acquired framework in deciding whether to go left or right, to buy or to sell, to date or not to date, to uh, follow somebody or depart from somebody. And it's this power of discernment that is necessary for life. We need it every single day. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, this is not a shameless plug, but I'm trying to sell my boat. And, uh, uh, and as I uh, put it on Craigslist yesterday, immediately, as soon as I put it on Craigslist, I started getting text messages. Should have never put my phone number there, but I did. I started getting text messages and the text message went this way. Um, I saw your boat on Craigslist. I want to buy it immediately. Um, I will send the money directly to your PayPal account. Could you please tell me what your PayPal account is? And I will send a mover over to pick it up, and I want to buy it for my child. And I'm like, what? I sold that fast. Man, they're not even going to look at the boat. I don't even have to tell them about the bilge pump. I mean, it's like I can just sell the boat, like, you know, and it's like, wow, this is really cool. About an hour later, I'm no lie. I got it on my phone. An hour later, hi, I'm out of, out of the country right now. I can't come and see your boat, but I would like you to send you the money directly into your PayPal account, and I, I want to buy it for my brother, and uh, I'll, send, I'll send somebody over to pick it up. I'm like, it's the exact same story. <laughs> Like two hours later, hi, I, I am uh, in the Air Force and I'm out of the country right now and I wanna, uh, I'm gonna deposit a bank check, a certified funds into your account. If you'll tell me what your account is and then I'll have somebody come over to pick it up, I'm buying it for a present. I am like, wow, this is incredible. See, that's one of those moments where you d- need discernment. Where you need to like, you know, uh, you don't just all of a sudden jump on that. Wow, honey, I got the boat sold. You begin to, you begin to look around and say, okay, I, I have an ideal, and my ideal is this. What is my ideal? Is that I'm, a person who buys a boat looks at the boat. Okay, that's the ideal. Okay, um, uh, you know, if you don't look at the boat, so it's like, I'm a boat guy, I know how boats are sold, I know how boats operate, you wanna see the boat, you wanna drive the boat, I get it, but the idea of just putting money into my account, it just doesn't match the ideal of what this transaction should go like. How are we gonna switch titles? How are we gonna do all that? And, um, but it's discernment that gives you that ability. Uh, maybe, here's another practical one. Um, maybe you have a six-year-old child who loves running around in auto repair or a, a body shop. Now, I mean, just look at that. I mean, doesn't that, doesn't that look crazy? Now, who's gonna let 
a six-year-old boy or girl just run around that shop because they like seeing all the different pretty colored things and just run around. I, I can imagine what the manager would do. You know, if all of a sudden there's a little child underneath one of these cars. But you know what? Every one of us have discernment. An ideal, um, and then we, we assess whether or not, you know, that's good parenting or not good parenting based upon that ideal. And we move forward and we move back. And I don't, I don't think for one, anybody here thinks that a six-year-old child knows the dangers as they stand underneath that VW. I don't think any of us think that a six-year-old, let's put it a boy, all right? I mean, we know the mischief is going to be there. So a six-year-old boy is definitely going to run around underneath that. And none of us think that a six-year-old boy has the discernment to run around a body shop like that. You know, it's really interesting. Um, and the analogy is way too close. But yet in America, we teach the same six-year-old child that they can run through the body shop of gender selection. We wouldn't let a six-year-old boy run around in this environment. But we will give the same six-year-old child the equation of trying to figure out what their gender is. Dang. When you put it like that, it sounds absurd, right? I mean, what does a six-year-old boy or girl know about being a boy and a girl other than what you're telling them? Or what, what 10,000 years of anthropology has already displayed? Or 100% of what biology has already communicated? Or what 100% of theology has already affirmed? Oh, you gotta let them make a choice. There is no part of life that you will experience success and fulfillment where the first virtue that you need is the power of discernment. The ability to choose an ideal, assess everything based upon that ideal, and then move forwards and backwards based upon that. In the order for discernment to work, a person needs to have the ideal to embrace. Now here's the big question, whose? Whose ideal? That's all we're deciding. That's the only separation that we have here is whose ideal we're gonna, is it gonna be America's? Is it gonna be Hollywood's? Is it gonna be your mom's? Is it gonna be your dad's? Is it gonna be a, a, a political party's ideal? Um, and, and we've got to decide what are we holding up so that I can assess whether or not I'm a good husband or not. Most of us guys here think we're good husbands because we don't sleep with anybody else other than our wives. Ladies, is that the ideal that you hold up? I don't think so. I think you got a whole bunch more stuff going on uh, what you think a husband is up there. You know, and I think scripture has an ideal of what, what, what a husband is like, about character and about loving and self-sacrifice and laying down his life for his wife and looking on her needs first instead of his own. I mean, that's like, that's the ideal. And I judge myself based upon that ideal or at least some ideal in our lives. So Abraham is in one of those moments where his imagination needs discernment. I will not be crass, though I would love to be crass, but Sarah has just offered him a hall pass, okay? Hey, I mean, you should read this in the original language. I mean, I was looking at the Hebrew for this, and it was 
oh my goodness, I am going to have to get some watered down English version to read this because it was not proper for all audiences. But let me just say it this way. Sarah has said, listen, God's not gonna pull it off. I, you know, this isn't gonna work. I got a plan. I want you to sleep with this young lady over here. Now, uh, I, you know, I, I can't speak for all men. I can't speak for all men. And, uh, but, you know, if my wife's giving me a hall pass and it will make her happy, you know, I'm kind of making her happy. She's the one with the problem right now. And, and if I can do anything to lay down my life for my wife, I would be more than happy to do it. Okay? Now you say, well, you're getting really crazy here. No, that's what's going on in this story. This is our father of faith right here. Abraham is offered a momentary pleasure. He's offered an opportunity to help his wife. He's offered a solution that he thinks will have absolutely no repercussions. And it's a, it's a solution that he doesn't have to wait any longer on God. The opportunities or challenges we face will have to be met with discernment. The appeal otherwise is too attractive. It really is. The appeal of what our imagination will do or what the opportunities that we have um, are, are, are just too attractive if we don't have uh, some sort of discernment in our life. Job's wife, after Job has lost all of his children and lost his business and he's physically impaired, Job's wife comes up to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? You know, there are times in your life when that's appealing, isn't it? It's like when life just doesn't work out and it doesn't look like it's going the right direction. Imagination can say, listen, you know, it would be better if you were dead. Life would be better. Everybody else would be better if you were dead. You wouldn't have to go through the hardship or the suffering or the difficulty. And so in that moment, Joseph, um, Job has to discern whether or not, am I going to do what, what my wife is saying or this idea that's being communicated to me? What is my ideal? How do I stop that imagination from happening? Or maybe you're in the case of, of Eve where Satan tells Eve to eat the fruit because here's the appeal of the imagination. You will be like God. That sounds pretty good. You will know good and evil. You know, you'll, you'll have it all, Eve. Job, you need to kill yourself. Imagine that. Eve, you're going to live like nobody's ever lived before. You're going to be eternal and you're going to be like God. See, both of these people have to have something in place in order to keep them from going in the direction that their imagination is leading them. They gotta have this quality of discernment. So whether it is in misery or success, the unguided imagination will offer us instant results with sometimes devastating effects. Your imagination can put you someplace where you shouldn't be. Your darkest, deepest thoughts can lead you to a place where, where you know, you've got to have discernment that this is not where God wants me to live. You know, I'm trying to walk four miles a day now. That's, that's my thing. And um, I'm trying to get exercise back into my life. And I know I've got this, this back thing, but, but it's like 
I've got to, I've got to reimagine a life where I, I am not um, just sitting around in bed curled up, laying on ice and taking painkillers. Pain and so, you know, I get up every morning and I prayer walk. Then in the evening when I come home, I, I do another three miles. Um, and it's like, why? Because I... I cannot let the imagination of my misery guide my direction. I need discernment. And so when I hear Jesus say to the cripple, rise up and walk and be healed, I'm like, okay, that is going to be my ideal. That's what I'm going to press towards with God. That's going to be the, the thing I assess my situation. And every one of us, whether it's in success or whether it's in misery. We need discernment to guide how we're thinking about stuff, whether or not we should even be thinking about stuff. One of the most powerful verses in the story of Abraham that you will ever read that I think is even bigger than, uh, well, maybe it's not bigger than God, uh, Abraham believed God and was accounted to him righteousness because that's, that's, that's probably the biggest statement of the whole story. But the one that affected his life a whole bunch comes from Genesis 16 2. And Abraham did what Sarah told him. Wow. What could possibly go wrong when offered so many things to go right? You know, I mean, isn't that the way we look at it? You know, we get all these offers. Uh, this is a great deal. This is a great deal. If you buy it now, if we, you know, he looks like a great guy. He's got a job. He knows the alphabet. He doesn't drool. I mean, it's like, how can it get better than that? You know, and it's like, I, we got to jump at this opportunity. Abraham may have been the father of faith, but like so many of us, he is not a model of discernment and good choices. Let me read you the story. So, and this is in the, the friendly English version. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for two years, um, for 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Ladies, you probably saw this one coming. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible, you shlemiel, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, shlemazel, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Wow. This whole situation could have been avoided by the power of discernment in Abram's life. Somewhere in the middle of the journey, and, and maybe this is where it comes home for me, maybe, maybe for you, is that someplace in the middle of it, they chose success on their own terms instead of God. And that's really the big one, is... In America, we're, we're all offered some level of success. We're offered opportunity. And, and, um, but for a lot of us, we just depart from the way that God wants things done, and we do it on our own terms. Of course God wants me happy. Of course God wants me wealthy. Uh, of course God wants me healthy. Of course God wants me this or to have that or to have good things in my life. And, you know, so 
for a lot of us, we're like Abraham and Sarah, and there's a point in the journey where we can just, we, we somehow offload God, and we begin to do life in our own terms. But a lack of discernment can really mess it up. I love this proverb, and it's been a proverb that's guided my life. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. If discernment requires an ideal to be held up as a standard to choose from, what is your standard? I mean, how are you running your family? How, how, are, you, how are you as a, a husband? What is, what is your standard? Um, as long as you mow the lawn, as long as you bring home money? As a wife or a mother, what is your standard for, for your child? You know, as long as they have a good daycare, as long as, you know, they're, they have a nice outfit. I mean, what is your standard? What do you hold up as being a mom or a dad or as a, fa- as a husband or a wife? Or what is your standard for dating? You know, when you're dating somebody, what are you holding up? You know, are you holding up the ideal of what, what God wants? And for, for some reason, we all just kind of grow impatient and we just exchange the ideal of God for an ideal of our own, and, and the scripture says, there's a way that always seems right to you. I mean, it just seems right to hate her. It seems just right to fight, to get revenge. It just seems right, you know, when, when we spend the night together. It just seems right, you know, to, to do this um, or, or that in our lives. And for all of us, there is that seeming of right that needs to be challenged in our, our lives. I love that better stated in, in, in this proverb, um, and, uh, and it's this. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. It's kind of, you see a court situation here, but you know, the one who states his case first seems right. It's like, wow, that, that's a really good idea. And I think this is the mechanism that goes on inside our brains. I think we're actually getting a picture of the human brain. I think as humans, and the Apostle Paul talked about this in Romans, about the things I should do, I don't do the things I don't do, I should do, oh, wretched man. I think this is kind of like that play out. He's like, we all come up with an initial idea of what we should do. I should punch him in the nose. I should run him off the road. I wish I had a cannon on the front of my car. You know, the standard first thought that most of us have. You know, I should blow it up, you know? Um, but we have initial thought. But what we need discernment is this kind of um, uh, a value system uh, combined with the Spirit of God, combined with the Word of God, and it's, it's kind of, that comes along after Paul puts out his case and says, yeah, I think I should uh, never talk to them again. And then he's, I put that case in my mind, and all of a sudden, if you have discernment, you allow God to walk in and go, hmm, all right, well, let me look at this. So he did you wrong, right? Oh, yes, yes. And you're not going to talk to him. All right, all right. Uh, well, you know, you did me wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. Well, am I not talking to you? Am I not talking to you right now? Yeah. So, so let me get this straight. You did me wrong, I'm talking to you, but he did you wrong, you're not going to talk to him. Uh, see, we all need that other thing, to walk, that, uh, that power of discernment to walk in our lives. Oh, he's so handsome, he's tall, he's got a great job. I mean, that walks into your life. She's 
she's beautiful, she's intelligent, she's, you know, uh, politically involved, she's, uh, you know, upward moving, and it's like, oh man, this is the one, and we, we all get that thought. There's a case that seems right to all of us when we put the argument first, out there first. You know, when, when, when we hear the click of the clack as a, as a man, we hear the sound of high heels walking through the office or through the mall, and there's the idea that first comes to your mind. But then something else has to come in and say, yeah, yeah, that's not the way we're going. This is not the way we're going to live our lives. It's not the way we're going to talk to our children. That's not the way we're going to talk to our spouses. We're going to, we're going to allow something else to speak into our lives. We need something else to come alongside of us. And I, I think it's this. I think it's God's word. God's word comes alongside. God's spirit comes alongside of me. And I also think God's people come alongside of me. And I would probably say it's in that order. Is that there'll be times when I'll just have an attitude or a thought or an imagination about what, what um, God wants for my life. And I will look at the scripture and it's like, huh, all right, all right. See, I thought my life wasn't going to have any problems. I thought, I mean, I'm a pastor for crying out loud. I'm the pastor of the church that floods. Of course that's enough to deal with, you know. Uh, it's like, no, I am the husband of one wife. I have great children. You know, I should have a wonderful, perfect life. I don't smoke weed. I don't, you know, um, I just picked that one out, but I just, you know, don't smoke weed. Um, and it's like, I shouldn't have back problems. I shouldn't have problems like that. I shouldn't have to deal with pain. That's not the journey I'm on. And I begin to look at scripture. And it's like, oh, no, no. Men and women of faith have always struggled has always had to take a difficult journey. Everybody struggles. And so God's word can kind of begin to lead you and guide you, God's spirit. I love the way that Jesus says it this way. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate that is wide, the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Now, I don't think there's like magical gates up in heaven, like really big gate you know, in heaven that opens up and then you plop and you go to hell because it's a really big gate and then there's this little itty bitty gate, you know, if you have the magic ring, you get to go and it opens and you get to go in it and that's the way. No, here's what Jesus, here's what Jesus is talking about. See, the way that it is for life is narrow because it has, the options have been whittled down. See, there, when you have no guiding ideal, everything's possible. Boys can be girls, girls can be boys, you can cheat on your wife, you can just decide not to get married, you can just do whatever you want. And Jesus is saying, the way of no dis godly discernment is wide open. But when you begin to use godly discernment, it begins to whittle down what your options are, and it's like, and it becomes narrow. It's like, it's obvious what I'm supposed to do in this situation. When I was single again after my first marriage fell apart, I was in between uh, uh, being divorced, and, and uh, so I was divorced, and I was kind of waiting to meet the, the woman of my life. And in between that period, that, there were times when I, as a young single Christian man, it was kind of like, you know, living, having my own apartment and all. I mean, it was like, eh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, it was difficult. Let me just say that. So I remember driving to, it was a place called Deer Ears. 
uh, in Charleston. If you're an old timer in, in some of you know, yeah, it was called Derriere's. It was a uh, disco place where you, you went. It was kind of a hookup place where you, you, you know. So I, I, one Saturday night, I could not stand being alone any longer. So I remember driving, driving there. Now, the following day, I was going to run sound at the church that I attended. Okay, so I drove up, I parked, and I sat there, and I watched, and, you know, this, I don't want this to sound creepy or anything. Remember, I'm only like 20-something, all right? And so I'm just watching these beautiful women go into, the, into the, the discotheque and the bar, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, so Paul, let's play this out. How's this going to work for you? You're going you're gonna to go in there, and, and I'm actually talking to myself. I guess that does sound kind of creepy, doesn't it? Watching the women go in, talking to yourself in your vehicle. And can I mention, I was in a cargo van. So, so it was like, I really was. It was cool back then. So I need therapy. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, so I sat there and I went through this whole thing. I went, you're going to see, I had this Broadway and then I end up with this little thing. So I'm like, okay, so here's what's going to happen. You're going to go in there. You're going to sit at the bar. You're not a big drinker, but you're going to drink anyway because you got to pay for your seat. And, and then you're going to look over around the room and you're going to try to ping some girl or something like that. And then you're going to buy her a drink and real, real, I'm a real, um, smooth operator here. You're going to buy her a drink, and then, you know, they're going to put some music on, some cool in the gang, and so we're going to get up and, you know, do all that, you know, dance and stuff. And then the dancers are going to get a little closer, and we're going to drink a little more alcohol, and, and then someplace along the line, Paul, you're going to say, hey, do you want to go back to my place? And, um, and um, also, by the way, when you do this, make sure you don't tell her you're a Christian, and don't Remember, no matter what happens, by 3 o'clock you need to be out of her place because you have to be at Northwoods to run sound at 7. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't talk about Jesus. Um, I'm going to go to church and run sound as one of the leaders at the church. And I'm like, I'm going to have to kill the most important thing to me, and that's my relationship with God. And so I, all this happened in my mind, in my imagination, being guided by discernment. So I just turned on the engine to my cargo van, and I drove off, and I went home. You say, well, what was that? Um, it's, it was, I chose the narrow gate. See, it wasn't narrow because this one was flaming with, with, with fire and, and the devil behind it, and this one had angels in front of it. It was like, no, discernment began to make the way smaller, 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 smaller. Boom. I know exactly. I mean, I don't mean to go much further with this, but let me just say, when I started dating my wife, um, we were engaged three months after meeting. We were married six months after that, and we've been married almost 35 years. You say, well, how can you pull that off? That doesn't sound, 80% of second marriages fail. It's like, well, how do you pull that off? Because the first date we sat down and I said to her, listen, I just want to tell you, I, I love God with all my heart. I knew you're a Christian, but I'm going to be doing ministry. Probably not going to make a lot of money. People are going to be in our lives. And if you don't like that, then we should end this before we even start. And then I, when she said, no, that's part of my life too. And when I, next thing I said to her is like, listen, I'm also going to tell you this relationship, there will be no sex in this relationship before marriage. And this relationship is heading to marriage if we're going to meet anymore because I can't meet with, marry, uh, with really beautiful women. And, and, and you know, I'm, but there'll be no, no sex. 
And that's when she leaned over the table, put her finger in my face, and said, I would not let you touch me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at that point, I said, you will be mine. Oh, yes, you will be mine. You know, it's like, well, so how did we end up with a great marriage? Was it luck? Was it we were soulmates? Oh, please, it was discernment. It, we had an ideal, we communicated the ideal, and we, we chose on it. I haven't always done that. As a result of all this, Sarah has a child. Um, she's really excited about it. God's done a wonderful thing in her life. She's got a child. She names that child Laughter. His name is Isaac. You know, because finally God has done something good. And you know those feelings when something Godish happens in your life and you're just like, oh, this is so God. I thank him so much for what he's doing in my life. But her handmaid has a child and his name is Ishmael. This is the child of the bad decision, the lack of discretion. One day, the child of laughter is just a little child and Ishmael comes along and begins to pick on him. The scriptures say, and Ishmael began to mock Isaac. I did a little word study in the Hebrew. Turns out the word for mocking in the Hebrew is the same word for laughter that makes up Isaac's name. And all of a sudden it just exploded in my mind is that for every one of our lives, we will have laughter. But will it be the laughter of joy because we partner with God, or will it be the laughter of mockery and shame in our lives? The mockery of bad choices. I've made, a, I've made some, I've got my Ishmaels, and they don't just go away. But, but some of them, you know, they, they mock me. They laugh at me. How dare you, you know, you call yourself a man of God. How dare you preach the gospel of God when you've had these kinds of mistakes in your life. And I think every one of us, and some of us here today, the, we're only hearing the, the laughter of Ishmael. The laughter of mockery about our bad choices. Say, so well, what do I do with those bad choices? Here's the great thing I love about God. God makes a covenant promise with Isaac and that the laughter and the joy of God is going to be communicated. But here's the thing. Abraham says, I got to get rid of Ishmael. But God says, no, I'm going to bless Ishmael. Sure, Ishmael may be a thorn in your side. And to this day, Ishmael is a thorn in the side of the people of, of Israel. But he says, I'm going to bless Ishmael. It's like, what, God? You're even going to bless a bad choice? I want you to know that God will take you right where you are right now. Well, I'm in my third marriage, and I'm married to a doofus. It's like, okay, you got your Ishmael with you. All right, thank you for bringing him to church. But here's the thing. God doesn't say, get rid of your Ishmael, and then I'll love you. No, God's like, uh-huh, I love Ishmael too. And, and I will work in your Ishmael. So I think as we close and move into this expressions moment, I, I think there's a couple things that God wants to ask us. And this is, is first, do you have discernment? 
and most of you here would probably say you do, then I'm going to push you a little bit further. What is the ideal? If you have discernment, you must have some, some moral ideal in your mind of what a good dad is, a good mom is, what a good husband is, what a good wife is, what a good single person is, what a good... I mean, you've got to have an ideal of, of what is good. And is your ideal God? Is your ideal His Word? Or are you kind of taking the ideal of the world and and letting your mind run around the body shop. You're letting the world determine what the ideal is for you. So think maybe you're in that place where it's like, okay, I really have not established a biblical or a God-centered ideal for my life, and I'm beginning to hear the laugh of the Ishmael, the mockery. See, God wants laughter in all of our lives. It just determines what kind. The laughter of joy or the laughter of mockery. Some of us here, you have only heard the laughter of mockery in your life. Whether it's that crime that somebody has done against you, and you hear it over and over again. Maybe it's the mockery you hear because of the color of your skin, or your gender. Um, maybe it's the mockery of, a, of something you did wrong. You're the criminal, not somebody else. You're like me. You did it to yourself. You hurt yourself and you hurt others. God wants you to know that it's not where the story ends and that there is a blessing in everything. And God takes the Abrahams, the Shlemiels and Shlemazels of the world that are in covenant relationship with him. And you know what he calls them? My people. So let me encourage you, wherever you are in your journey, God wants you to experience the laughter of Isaac. He wants you to hear the laughter of joy in your life. Father, as we enter into this moment, we are all in different places. Some of us are just walking through the wide gate. We're taking the journey called bliss. Whatever brings pleasure, whatever's the least amount of effort and difficulty, whatever we can do to resolve conflict, whatever makes me happy, Lord God, we've been staring at that gate and walking through that day, gate every single day, and today you are challenging us to walk through the narrow gate. The gate that has been whittled down by wisdom, by love, by divine vision for our lives. You want us to imagine, but you want us to imagine with you. Father, for those of us that are here, that all we hear is the laughter. When we look at ourselves in the, in the mirror, we think about our lives as we look back and all we hear is the mockery of our bad choices. Today, Lord God, you want to bless us. You want to renew us. You want to give us hope. You want to give us a future. And today, Lord God, you want us to experience the laughter of joy. Father, we enter into this moment of communion reflection this time with you to speak into our lives.